Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's new daily show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on the facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to local officials and experts on COVID-19 and community actions related to it. If you have questions for our guests, please email them to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. You can find a list of upcoming guests on our Facebook page or on our website, kmxt.org. Audio from each day's program will be posted on the website. And good morning. Thank you for tuning in today. This is another silver lining. <laughs> You're dead in the dance already. <laughs> this is another silver lining edition of our show. Doc of the Rock is on for tomorrow. Therapy Thursday is on for Thursday. We're still finalizing guests for Friday, but it's looking like it's also going to be something on the heavier side. So we thought that once in a while we had to do something a little bit lighter, a show that will help you find the the silver lining in all of this. And kind of a what can you do that's fun to keep us sane through all this kind of stuff kind of show. <laughs> that well sped up. Huh? Uh, so we've got two lovely guests in today that are chock full of good ideas about how to get outside, keep busy, keep occupied, and have fun. We're going to be talking about the birds, the bees, the kitchen, and the peas with Marion Owen and Cindy Trussell. Gardening, cooking, birds, and maybe a little photography and this is a great show if you have questions. Marion's been in before, so has Cindy. Uh, they can answer your questions about, you know, birds, bees, gardening, photography, cooking, uh, the whole thing. So shoot us a question at lowdown at kmxd.org or call us at 486-3181 and you'll, we'll try and get your question answered. The gardening show has always uh, been pretty popular throughout the years and uh there's a lot of people taking advantage of the Audubon uh, Society's program. So let's start first by just saying hello. Good morning. Good morning, Mike, from, from Garden Central here. Garden Central. <laughs> Good morning, Mike, from um, maybe Birding Central? <laughs> Could be. You never know where people are now. Marion's in the That's studio, right. and Cindy's, at, Cindy's in the comfort of her home. Um this is a big weekend for Audubon, right? This is Global Big Day on Saturday. It is. It's officially the World Migratory Bird Day or International Migratory Bird Day. And um, and the folks at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology have a, well, it's actually not just them. It's, it's everywhere where everybody's encouraged to get out and do as much birding as they possibly can in all in one day to see as many species as you possibly can. And um, I think last year there was something like more about 90 something thousand checklists submitted to the Cornell Labs eBird um, program. And so they're looking for people to increase that this year. So yeah, so this Saturday is a big day and it's supposed to be raining, but it's still a good day to get out and see some birds. Yeah. I think maybe the rain will rain itself out by Friday though. I don't, it doesn't make any difference though for gardeners or for birders. I mean, we have to get used to it and just take, take what we get here and get outside. That's right. So how can somebody participate in the Global Big Day? So um, so for Global Big Day, you participate, well, you participate on your 
own, uh, which is what, what makes it a particularly good activity for right now is because it, you can do it all by yourself. You uh, sign up for an eBird account and you you either stay in your yard and record all the birds you can possibly see in your yard, or you go out around town and um, record the things you're seeing and then enter them all into eBird. Um, and the, one of the cool things about the program um, is that as checklists come in on eBird, they, they have a real-time map where you see these little dots popping up and it truly is, it's global. So, uh, so you'll see people just everywhere on the planet will be like, a little thing will pop up in India and then something else will pop up in, in Australia. And it's really quite cool to see that everybody's doing the same activity at the same time. Wow. So how do, how do people go to that and, and do it if they haven't signed up already? So it's just eBird.org and it's a pretty straightforward sign up solution. Um, we, let's see, we've got a number of programs going on with Audubon this year. So we kicked off in January what we're calling a Kodiak uh, Big Year. And so running from January all the way through December, and we've been running a few eBird workshops um, over, well, the first one was done in person and the second one we did um, via Zoom since we were stuck at home. Um, but, but the eBird thing is it, let's see. So you go in, you sign up and it sort of walks you. There's even an eBird essentials course through YouTube. So you can actually walk yourself through all the details of how you go about doing it. It's relatively straightforward. So there's a challenge every month for you, for yep. the local people to, to sign in and do things like uh, the most birds that you can see or different varieties. Right. Or that you submitted a checklist with a photo or that you um, this month I, is going to be our the, the um, seeing a ptarmigan. So we're going to encourage people to go out and see a ptarmigan this month. And so everybody who sees a ptarmigan who's part of our challenge will will get thrown into the into the random drawing for a prize at the end of the month. Cool. Um, normally, every year Audubon brings down a some sort of a bird. Right. So. Kodiak Audubon and the um, and the Wildlife Refuge celebrate International Migratory Bird Day most years with bird feeder building with with families, and then we also bring down a bird from the Bird Treatment and Learning Center. Um, and this year, because of all of the lack of travel that we can do and what have you, we're not able to do that. So we are going to kick off a a family based challenge. The eBird. The, the big year challenge is more about people who want to get out and do a lot of birding throughout the year, but we thought it'd be fun to kick off something a little bit more family oriented. And we're calling it the 10 beaches and birding challenge to encourage families to get out, visit all the different Kodiak beaches. And we have 10 identified and identify one unique bird per beach. And so let's say you go out to White Sands and you find a chickadee. Then when you go to Mill Bay, you have to find a different bird that is not a chickadee. Um, and so, and we're asking, and so and we'll, we'll, we'll kick that off on the 16th of May, which is the day we were going to have our, our bird feeder building and, um, and the, and the, and the bird, but we're not doing that this year. So we're doing something a little different just to, and still to encourage people to get outside. So this is kind of like the mountain challenge that happened last summer. A little bit. We were we were certainly inspired by the by the mountain challenge um, and trying to do something that didn't yeah something that families could do together. So are is the is the is them or is the family supposed to go to a beach and take a selfie of themselves or try and take a picture <laughs> of the of the bird or something? So we're actually asking that they document the bird that they see in uh, one of 
many ways, right? So you could take a photo of it, you could record the audio of it, you could, or, and we're also, we're going to be providing little uh, bird passports. And so they could also just sketch the bird. They wouldn't necessarily have to take a photo. So we figured we could do high tech things and low tech things. However, however, individuals, um, whatever they prefer, they might be somebody that likes drawing. And so we wanted to encourage all different ways to document what they see. So, so you could, Go ahead. So you could bring your, your 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 camera or your crayons. Exactly, camera or crayons, um, all or 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 recorder of some kind. If 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 you're into if you're into recording audio, so the challenge will run starting on the 16th and will go all the way through September 7th, um, and all of the successful participants or people who successfully complete the challenge um, will get a one of our bird feeder kits to build um, so one per family and uh, and so that's sort of a, an incentive and then the and then the, the, there will be one grand prize uh, drawn from all the people who successfully finish so Cindy I have a question for you um, regarding Saturday too is there a, a time of day when, uh, when when birds are more active than another? Yeah, so you, so songbirds are much more active first thing in the morning, and that's when you're going to see them. That's when you're going to hear them mostly singing. Um, but then, of course, if you're going out to seabirds on the water and some of the migratory things that are coming through, pretty much throughout the day, usually a little bit before high tide, a little bit after high tide, or if you go out to Calson, um, Rich are, you know, our expert birder says it's always good birding out of Calson. So, so there are places you can always go and see birds throughout the day. And for that global big day, they actually want you out from as soon as you can, all like as much of the day as you as you have the stamina to bird. Um, so, pick, so, so, so pack a lunch, pack a lunch, pack coffee, pack all the things you might want to take with you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. How do um, for somebody who, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody who doesn't know birds very well. What's a good handy dandy guide that they should have with them to help them identify things? Well, um, there's a variety of paper guides. And um, so my favorite is the National Geographic Guide. Uh, but there is a Western Sibley's Guide that's pretty good. Um, there's also a Western Stokes Guide. That's, I mean, any of the bird guides are, are quite good. You can also now get bird guides on your phone as an app. Um, and so that so that you don't necessarily have to carry around a book and your phone, you, you have them all in one, which is always a really convenient thing. And um, and Sibley's just came out with another new a version 2.0 that's particularly good that also has sounds on it. And a number of our, our other Audubonners really like something called iBird Pro, which is a which is again for the phone or for your mobile app. You can use it for your iPad as well, um, so that you can. It's a little bit lighter and a little bit easier to search than the books. I've used these apps on my phone where it has like different categories. There's songbird. You you sit out there in the woods and listen and try and compare what you're listening to to what's on the phone. You know, <laughs> it takes. Yeah. So I actually saw one that came out last year for plants. Do you yes. do you use one of those things in the field? Um, I I don't use one in the field just because um, uh, I have I have so many plant books and sometimes I'll actually put a book right inside the door. But I will take a picture and I'll share it. And, and, and Cindy, you might know about this. There's a yeah. fabulous site called iNaturalist. Um, oh, I don't know about iNaturalist. iNaturalist.org. And uh, you can post uh, photographs of any species, uh, anything, flower, animal, bug, 
uh, wildflower, zebra, you name it, you post it, you upload it, and there are experts who will, and there's um, AI software that will actually look at your photograph and start to ID it. Oh, that's fantastic. For, for example, for me, if I don't know a plant, I usually contact Stacy or I will post it to a number of um, gardening sites and they'll say, oh, that's a what's it, which is great. Um, and then for um, for me, I have a heck of a time IDing, uh, say, bumblebees because it's, it's extremely difficult. So there are experts around the world that will help me identify uh, bumblebees on iNaturalist.org. So it's great. It's great. So, so Marin, that brings, that brings up another app that I had forgotten about that is really, really wonderful for birds, for, for newbies, which is called Merlin, M-E-R-L-I-N, which you mentioned you had a Merlin out, out in your yard. So. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a terrorist. <laughs> I guess. But the Merlin ID or the Merlin app allows you to say, all right, I saw a bird that was roughly this size, that was roughly, that had these colors on it. And you tell it where you are. And um, and once you tell it where you are, it then says, here are the, here are the possible birds that you might have seen. And uh, and then it, just, it's, it works out pretty well. It doesn't do sound, though. And so a lot of people want one that they can put sound into. But I hadn't heard of iNaturalist, so that's great. And you and you can upload audio too, um, but I haven't, to be honest, uh, Mike. I haven't I haven't really d- dove into some of the, um, the, the the plant or the the garden ID ones. Um, but they work very similarly similarly, as as the bird app, where it'll start to recognize it and help you with it. Might be this, so you look at. Um, the, the kind of flower and how the leaf pattern is. Are they opposite leaves? Um, the kind of uh, area you find it growing. And so uh, there's just so much wonderful things to help us engage with nature just to help us get, yeah, just there and understanding. It's wonderful. Yeah. I have a whole yard full of what's it's. Um, is there one, is there one, <laughs> is there one for mushrooms? Um, yes, there there are for mushrooms, and there's also a very good Alaska guide, actual book um, for for understanding mushrooms, and, um, and and there are there are some mushrooms out there right now, but fall is usually the best for 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 looking for mushrooms. And some people will find very nice mushrooms like morels around here, and they won't tell you where. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but now we know because if they're using their app, you know, they make a yeah. GPS track them. <laughs> yeah, track right to your frying pan. Right. A little olive oil and garlic. Yeah, yes. they're gone. Sorry. Yeah. They're gone. Yeah. Uh, so how has the COVID uh, impacted the Audubon Society beside the the not bringing the bird in? Um, you guys usually do hikes every summer. We do usually run a hiking series, and um, and it usually runs from, well, mostly the months of June, July, and August on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And there's a lot of carpooling that happens during those, um, uh, when we run those hikes. And so we talked about it this year and decided that it probably wouldn't be in the best interest of everybody safety-wise. Plus, we've had upwards of 25 or 30 people attending a hike, and that's a little hard to keep six foot of distance when you have that many people hiking together. So our hiking coordinator, Cindy Bauer, is going to post suggested hikes every week. 
week on the Kodiak um, Audubon hiking Facebook page with um, with a map and with some photos and and some ideas of or so, some some pointers as to as to how to get there and where to park so that people will also at least have some they could they could follow her her suggestions but um, but yeah we're gonna that's a that's what we came up with for this year. Well, it gives you an opportunity to go out and know where the hikes are. You don't get that. Right. You don't get that personalized experience of hiking with other people uh, who you may not know. And it was a good way to meet people and to, to get the knowledge from the person leading the hike was pretty valuable. But just to go out and do it is a good way to kind yeah. of explore the planet. Cindy, so when people um, follow this and they they do the hike, the suggested hike, can they then post pictures? Sure. Uh, what what they experienced on that hike? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that that would be wonderful, and it would be everybody would be hiking virtually together almost, and when they came back from there from the different hikes, so mm-hmm. that'd be great. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little about a little bit about what's out there now. You know, uh, are there new birds in Kodiak now? If somebody was to go out and hit the beaches, what kind of cool birds are out there to look for? Sure. So this is. Um, our, the season where we have things coming through for just a few days at a time, some of the migratory things. Um, just the other day, um, sandhill cranes were spotted out in Calson Bay. They were around just for a couple days and they're gone. Um, wimbrels and marbled godwits, which are uh, shorebirds. And then this is also the season where, all, where many of our migratory songbirds will come back. So people, the first golden crown sparrow was heard on the top of pillar the other day. Um, and then hermit thrushes should be back any day now. And, um, and then of course our, our four different warbler species. So May is a wonderful time to be out and a lot of new things come back. Of course, many of our things leave too, like our stellar ziders go go north and the, and the emperor geese go north. And so, um, so we lose some of our species, but we're getting quite a few things through. Fun. Even, even white winged scoters. I saw a few the other day. Yes, I did too. <laughs> fun. Um, and the puffins come back and puffin, oh, right, the puffins come back. Yes. They're our back now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I've seen uh, the tufted puffins, but the horn puffins are a little either later or elusive or both. Yeah, right. <laughs> I have not seen a puffing yet. Yeah, you know, they, and, they... And, and a note about that is that when we when we take our boat out in May and June, that is the most exciting time for us, uh, as far as guests to to see the most unusual things on the beaches. Um, for mm-hmm. example, M- May and June is when we see bald eagles just lining the beach, the, the just the shoreline, the water's edge. For you know, they haven't they haven't gone to to do the nesting thing in a big way. And so we see the most unusual things like um, uh, eagles feeding on an octopus on the beach and stuff like that. It just, Fun. it's just, and then it gets kind of back into the normal summer activity bird wise for us. But from a shore, I mean, from a, from a water perspective, it's an interesting transition period. I really love it. Yeah, it is. It's a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. I like that when the log moves, you know, you, you look and there's a, piece of driftwood that looks odd on the beach and then all of a sudden you realize it's an eagle (laughs) (laughs) they're out there in the middle of nowhere (laughs) yeah um let's talk a little bit about gardening is it too late never too late never too late it's it's never too late uh and it's 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 an exciting time to be gardening because there's so many people around the world that are keyed in on growing more of their own vegetables 
just to be a little more self-sufficient. Uh, maybe there's got more time on their hands or they're um, concerned about grocery stores emptying out. It's, it's a, it's a multifaceted um, uh, occurrence going on here. Uh, many of the nurseries around the country uh, have run out of seedlings and seeds. Uh, just for fun, I went online to check on a couple things, and it's very difficult to find um, diff- like um, uh, food, food seeds. And when one website said, we're not shipping out any more seeds or live plants. We're, we don't have them. We're just out. Mm. Now, th- the, the flip side of that is our local stores here, nurseries and so on, are doing great. I mean, Strawberry Fields, for example, we just are so fortunate in this community to have a nursery where they start a lot of their own, if not all of their own, seedlings. And that is a gem in the whole world. Not many independent nurseries around anymore. So, um, and uh, when I was in there the other day, I overheard somebody say, wow, this is the busiest I've ever seen in April. So people are, um, you know, you know, in their home, they got things they want to do and they got time to do it. So people are building raised beds and low tunnels, starting their own seedlings. I did a couple Zoom um, Zoominars, somebody said, did a Zoominar on uh, how to start your own seedlings. So it's it's a really um, exciting time, really, in gardening world. Well, you've done a couple of Zoominars in the last month, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are they well attended? Uh, very much so. I had people in North Carolina, <laughs> really, in Utah, um, Alabama, even though it was a little later for them. Like you said, it's it's never too late. So you can start multiple crops of lettuce throughout the summer or broccoli or, you know, it used to be that you started one set of, 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 of seedlings and that was it for the rest of the summer. Radish, not carrots, any, yeah, yeah, but not anymore. I mean, if you, if you cover it or have a high tunnel or kind of um, leapfrog your efforts, start cilantro every two weeks, for example, you'll have cilantro or spinach all summer. Well, it used to I, I think when the high tunnel thing sort of went online here, we start. I noticed that our, our growing season seemed to expand by three, two or three months. Uh, in that, people were starting in January and February to do things. Right to get to have things to seedlings to set out in a high tunnel or or hoop house or greenhouse. You're absolutely right, Mike, because um, in. Uh, at a 10-hour day length point, which is um, February, middle of February, um, our day length here at this latitude reaches 10 hours, which means plant growth starts up again. And then in April, dang, we've got you 15 know, hours of daylight. Yeah. And so why waste it? Um, and that's it's pretty exciting to have high tunnels. I think Kodiak and Kenai together, we have one of the largest percentage of high tunnels in the nation because we in Alaska embraced that whole idea of that program that the USDA has. Um, We said, this is great for trying to grow more plants in general. Yeah. Well, we've seen that at the farmer's markets. And farmer's markets. It's, how do I call it? I mean, they're, they're called high tunnels or hoop houses, but I call them hope, hope houses or hope tunnels because it's, it's not like looking out your kitchen window and watching your broccoli melt in front of your eyes, you know? There, there's hope. And so it's also been more of a positive um, 
a sign of hope for people who want to grow for our farmers markets. You don't have to go to the farmers market saying, "Oh, sorry, my Swiss chard. This is all I have." You can come with armloads to sell, and people are responding to that in a big way. Well, back when, back when I, it, it, it seems like the amount of things that you can grow now has expanded amazingly. It has because, like you said, the shoulder seasons, a month and a half or two months in the spring, and same in the fall, have extended our growing season maybe by a third or maybe even double it for some people. Mm -hmm. So for the new gardener, they're contemplating doing something. they got a little bit of extra time on their hands now. What's your recommendation to them to how to get started? How to get started would you got to start with the dirt. And I, and I see Cindy nodding her head. You got to start with the dirt. You got to start <laughs> with the soil. And it's ideal if you have a raised bed. And I mean, an actual box. So um, get, a, get a box together of wood or stones or whatever you want to do and keep it about four feet wide. And that means. And that, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, oh, no, I was uh, just, I was writing down notes, Marion. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and so that and means so that, that you you want to, to um, we have a little uh, feedback going on, I think, in my head. Okay, I'll go ahead and. Um, you you want to provide a raised bed so that you can reach in from either side. Right. You don't want to walk on it. Now, if you feel like you're behind the eight ball and you go, well, Marion, I just got the box. I don't have any soil. Then fill the box about two-thirds to three-quarters full with stuff. Chunky compost, kelp, um, old manure from um, your, your friends you know, or out at the fairgrounds. Fill it with chunky stuff. And then top it with the potting soil or sifted, you know, finer things. And then plant. So don't worry about all that big stuff down there. The earthworms are going to go to work. And they're going to break all that down. And then you have something to plant in. And so, so easy crops? Should I list some easy crops? So how deep should it be, though? So you're saying a four-foot box? Yeah, about 10 inches minimum. Okay. Maybe, you know, maybe a foot. That's kind of nice for a, 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 you know, a self-respecting carrot. You know, they don't like, they don't like tight shoes either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tend to think that carrots ought to be in like, you know, 24, 36 inches of soil. Well, you know, the, the world's largest carrot, I think the... It was in the UK, and it, it's something like the, the root was like like seven feet long. When you took the whole root, it was really really long. So yeah, I mean, the deeper the better. Yeah, it's true, it's true. But for the in a, in a box that's only ten inches, twelve inches deep, what kind of things would you plant in it? Um, I would plant uh, like the easiest crops for Kodiak for vegetables would be um, uh, kale, broccoli. Onions. Onions are so hardy. It's exciting, really. Green onions or bulb onions. Um, lettuce. Um, mustard greens, like those fancy um, gourmet greens you buy in a bag at the grocery store. Some people do. We yeah. can grow all of those. You can just sprinkle out seed, and, and you know, in, t- in a couple of weeks you'll have two inches. You'll have stuff to cut, put in your salad. Um, Chinese cabbage, carrots, potatoes. Uh, Mike, you ready for this? Beets. Beets? Beets. What, what? Turnips. Beets. Beets are good, Mike, to grow. Yeah. They love it here. And you can eat the greens. And turnips, you can eat the greens. Good calcium, ladies. Yeah. Now, if you don't have seedlings started, don't fret. 
because we have plenty of seedlings available here in town. Uh, and also you can direct sow things like carrots and cress, and you can sow your, your salad greens, like your mustard greens. And um, there's, there's quite a few things you can just direct sow, turnips and beets and so on. So you get a little package of seeds and sprinkle them out. Right. And then have to go in and thin them out as they start to come up. Yeah, then they get you outside. Yeah. It's like, like Cindy, you know, she's talking about get outside and look for birds. Well, you know, you get outside in your garden and you look for uh, slugs or you thin your turnips uh, or your carrots. And meanwhile, you're listening to the birds. And so it's, it's an all-encompassing kind of activity. It's problem solving and growing something to eat. And, and also, I'm encouraging people to sow another row so that there's someone you can give food to. So people that don't have space for, for gardening, you can grow something in a container, like a halibut tub or hanging basket. And, and, and I don't think the community garden is going this year. I could be wrong. I'm not yeah. sure. I'll have to look into that because it'd be a perfect, yeah, I could be wrong. But there are people who could really use some fresh vegetables. And, you know, your neighbor down the street would just love to have a handful of spinach or lettuce or something yeah so plant another row so do we need to have a top on the box you don't need to have a top really i mean plastic top is great you know we don't really have heavy rains right now but um sometimes when it's windy and rainy it's helpful to have a plastic top uh and you can secure it easily with those two inch um size paper clips you can get here in boxes you know you just clamp it right on there on the pvc hoop Uh uh-huh which is a half-inch inner diameter hoop. Or, uh, you know, some people put milk crates in the corners and then put plastic over it, whatever it takes. When I started playing with uh, covering my my raised beds or vegetables, that was, oh, my goodness, over 30 years ago, I would cut out the bottoms of the plastic milk cartons, and I would place just a few over some of the plants in the raised bed, and then I would stretch plastic, whatever I could get my hands on, over that. As, as a way to protect the plants, just to give them a little head start. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you, if do we have enough time now to sow rather than go to the store and buy starts? Well, you're talking like what, like broccoli? I don't know. I mean, oh, you so know. if you wanted to start your own seedlings, I would say absolutely you have time. If you, if you were to sow a broccoli seed right now or a kale seed indoors, you got to figure about four to six weeks before you set it outside. So if you did it today, it's early June or mid-June, and you're, that's perfect. It's just fine because you still have June, July, August, and, and September. That's when the growing season sort of – I mean, what, when's the target dates for some of these things? Do they keep growing until November for some of them, or are we looking at, you know – for, for for some things, you're saying that they grow in 30, 45 days, right? Mm-hmm. And some things that take a longer time. For like Brussels be, sprouts. Brussels yeah. sprouts take a long time. Onions take a little longer time. Um, so those that uh, do take a longer time, you might try both. Start some seedlings and purchase some seedlings. And I do both. I, I, I buy seedlings and I, and I start my own. Um, and... and so here's the other end of the spectrum is that in February, around the middle of February or like the 20th, is when the day length bumps above 10 hours. 
in October, the day length around, say, the 20th of October, dips below 10 hours. So you have that sort of crown or bubble of time where you have ideal light, which is the energy for plants. Um, the ideal growing conditions is right there. If, if say, in if you have a hoop house, if you um, were to have plants established already, like broccoli and kale and carrots, in, say, uh, July and August, then you can carry those into November. They might kind of slow down in growth or stall out, but you will have established plants that you can feed on well into the winter. That's a fact. It works. But you have to plan that way. You have to think that way. Good. Let's talk a little bit about making dirt. You know, the, the best way to make dirt is a... Is a composition of what? Um, the best way to make dirt around here, uh, garden soil, is to um, amend our existing soil with some compost or some sort of organic matter. Our local soil, as Rick Connect used to call it, our archaeologist, is, is called butter clay. And you might have, you know, seen it or felt it in the bottom of your boot <laughs> or mucked through it. And it's, it's very sticky. It's like butter clay. So there's hardly any air pockets in it. And it's very low in pH, as in it's very acidic. So it might be like a 4.5 in a pH scale, whereas neutral garden soil, what you're looking for is 6 or 6.5. So it's low in pH. And it's, so it's kind of sour, and it doesn't have much um, organic matter in it. So it's kind of rough on a plant. Rough in that, and here's a little science lesson, is that if, if the soil is low in pH, which, by the way, is great for blueberries and spruce trees and so on, then nutrients that a broccoli plant might look for, a certain amount of potassium and phosphorus, might be in the soil, but it's locked up. They can't get it. It's like having these nutrients in the bank and you don't have the key or your, your, your password or your PIN number. Um, so you make compost. Now, if you don't have a compost pile, so rest assured, no fear, no worries, because Kodiak is blessed with an enormous amount of organic material that you can just fluff into your existing beds. And that would be um, your kelp or seaweed. Um, a variety of, of manures around here. The best would be cow manure or buffalo manure. Mm -hmm. When you go out to Pasag Shack, take a five-gallon bucket because um, those manures have, um, well, the animals, the ruminants, have four stomachs. And no weed seed survives four stomachs, unlike horse manure that has uno stomach. Oh. And so when they pass their food then the weed seeds are still very <coughs> viable, but not so much for a cow. So we have cow manures, um, rabbit manure, goats. Pe some people have goats. Chick manure is a little hot. Um, we have uh, leaves, um, and um, I know the, um, we have uh, fish bone meal around that you can get. So we have quite a variety of things. Now, if you have grass clippings from last year piled up in the under a tree in your side yard, then that's a little more problematic because um, grass clippings will actually mat like felt 
and it's very hard to pull them apart. If you want to use your grass clippings, use them immediately, say within three days before they start to get really, really hot and they start getting matted. But um, but for for what we do, thinking ahead a little bit, in the fall, we go collect leaves and bag them up, and we keep them over the winter, and we make compost all winter, yep, up to 140 degrees, 145 degrees. But but don't worry if you don't have a compost pile. Do you have worms? Do you keep worms? Me personally, you... <laughs> 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 uh, we don't we don't do the vermiculture thing, which requires um, red wigglers that you have to bring in. Uh, but we do have a lot of earthworms in our raised beds. Not so much in the compost pile because 120, 130 degrees, it's too hot for a, an earthworm. They'll kind of hang out in the in the wings, so to oh. speak. And then when the compost cools down, they'll show up. But yeah, out in the garden we do. Oh. Okay, so... Can I ask Marion a question? Yeah. So Marion, I live out in Monashka and have a ton of spruce cones that fall in my yard and I'm always picking them out of the dirt. Is that something I should worry about? Should I be getting the spruce cones out of my dirt or does it not really matter? If you don't have very many spruce cones, Cindy, it's okay. I occasionally pluck them out of my my dirt too, but they just they just won't they won't break down. It'll take years and years and years. Um, they don't really cause a problem unless you have a lot of them like spruce needles you can have them in your soil but if you have too many of them it will acidify it but um but by and large just just a few here and there you know if you have root crops maybe move them out of the way because you know okay great good question because a lot of people live you know at monashka or places where you don't have a lot of sunshine but you have a lot of trees Uh so you go to the beach and you grab some kelp is it is it ready to go right away uh, the older kelp, yes, because on a day like this where it's raining, um, a lot of the salts are rinsed away. Now, people will think that, oh, um, kelp, seaweed, uh, salt, think about like table salt. But the salts we're talking about, um, many of the minerals are a salt. So it's okay. You can add it directly to your garden if it's the real fine stuff. We usually run it through our compost pile just because we like to break it down a little bit. But the beauty of seaweed and kelp, again, we're so lucky here because um, it's one of the best soil amendments you can add to your soil because the kelp is a plant growing in the ocean which has every element known to man in it and it takes in those elements so you put it in your garden and then it's like a slow release vitamin it's superior it's fabulous and it fluffs up your soil it's great so you go to the beach and there's there's the squiggly green you know stuff down and close to the water and then there's the red squirrely spurly stuff and then there's the brown stuff up top uh-huh. Is, are any of them better than others um there are, I know Mid Short out in Antones, she loves the eelgrass, yeah. which looks like a, a green ribbon about a quarter inch thick. And she actually goes to certain beaches just for the eelgrass. Um, the bull kelp, you know, the whip kelp, yeah. that if you cut off one end and then the other, you can make a great musical Biffle. instrument. That, no, you can blow through it. And um, those, it, it takes it a while to break down. It's a little too chunky. So I usually go to the upper tide area where it's a little... You know, well, it's, you know, our waves are nature's Cuisinart, right? Chop it all up for you. But red, green, whatever color, doesn't matter. It's all great, great stuff. Okay, so, so you're, uh, you're going to one of our 
local stores then, and you're looking to make build some dirt, mm-hmm. um, and you grab you're grabbing a bag of peat moss and a grab a soil enhancer and a, a, a general dirt. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what what do you go buy if you've got? Okay, I've got some buffalo manure here, and I've got my fish meal, and I've got my uh, everything else. What other kind of bags do you need to mix it all together? And then at what ratio do you make it so that it comes out what you're looking for? Uh, it's a good question. So one um, recipe might be some a peat moss, bale of peat moss, which is just that. It's, it's shredded moss, usually from Canada. And I'd probably do um, one part peat moss, maybe a couple parts of kelp, um, uh, both strawberry fields and uh, Sutliff's sells a variety of amendments. If you buy potting soil, that's pretty expensive. You can add a, a bag of that, which is mostly peat moss, by the way, and um, and then maybe add, you know, I wouldn't add fish meal at this point. Maybe in the fall. It's a little too hot, and I would chunk up my maybe a, um, a bucket full of your your manures, and if you find um, old, old leaf material, you know, like out in the woods, old leaf material, I would throw in some of that too. So there's n- not a really hardcore recipe. You're, you're just kind of making um, oatmeal in the morning. A little of this, a little of that. Yeah. You need like soil enhancers of any kind, vitamins, potassium, lime, all that. No, I think if you if you add the um, the manures and the beach peat for 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 let's get going this year, let's get growing this year. I think uh, a blend of that and and get some local soil. You know, there's enough places around here now where the the, the trees have fallen <coughs> over. For example, underneath where the trees were, you'll see volcanic ash and really black dark soil. And that's a great starting point. And then you add your 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 um, your organic amendments, as in your kelp and stuff, to that, and fluff it up. That's how I started. I had no dirt. I have this. I, I do have a photograph of me 35 plus years ago wearing Carhartts and a pink scarf, and and I'm holding a pitchfork and I'm turning my first compost pile. Uh, the sides were um, pallets. And I am grinning from ear to ear because it's steaming and it's winter. And I did it, even though the extension service said it took five years. Mm-hmm. I just had to do it. So I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't get your head wrapped around having just the right thing. I would just go ahead and try it. And then you just learn from experience. It's like, like Cindy, you know, you would, you'd say, well, I don't know what that bird is, but I'm, I'm going to just try and try and identify it. And somebody's going to help you. Or you'll learn just by doing. So um, I just say, go out and do it. The worst that can happen is you bury it or put it in a compost pile. Okay, so you go to one of our local emporiums and you buy yourself. Bags of this and bags of that. Yeah, you buy that. But let's say you say, I really like that maple tree. Or I really like that blueberry bush. Or I like, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And and you want to go throw it in the yard. How Mm -hmm. How do you do it so that it has a better chance of success? Well, what I would do if I if I didn't understand how it, well, like a rhododendron would need, so you go to strawberry fields and you say, "I really like to have that rhododendron in my yard." Ask them too, because the people that work at Sutliffs and Strawberry Fields, for example, are a wealth of information. 
And for example, if you've never grown a rhododendron before, they like blueberries and other trees like acidic soil. So you want to put them in a place that you know, like might have a really good sun exposure, maybe not be exposed to a really cold, drying northwest winds. And maybe your soil mix might have a little bit more of our our local butter clay kind of soil because it's what? It's acidic. So there you have it. And peat moss is acidic. So and then, you know, lawn care, that's a whole other deal that we could talk about for spring for spring gardening. Lawn care. Mm-hmm. I have a question here. What about bone meal? Yeah. So bone meal is sort of a traditional um, amendment that people would add to um, the holes for planting bulbs would be bone meal, which is a really good source of phosphorus. Um, We do have here available is fish bone meal. And it's bone meal from... um, cooking down or processing the the fish scraps, seafood scraps, but it also has uh, fish meal in it. And the reason is um, that when the fish meal here is processed, the goal is to remove as many bones as possible because that creates in the cooking process ash, which makes for an inferior fish meal product. So they don't want bones, but for us... Gardeners, we gardeners, bone meal is great. Um, But you can add too much phosphorus. It used to be that phosphorus, uh, which is what bone meal really provides, was considered the most missing ingredient in garden soils. Well, an extension agent came here a number of years ago and tested some of our soils and said, you guys can stop adding so much of this because your your phosphorus is way over the top. You're overdoing it. So... And getting back, I, I forgot one thing, Mike, about seaweed and kelp. Yes, you can turn it right into your soil, but in for our hoop house and greenhouse, we run it through the compost pile first because if you add seaweed directly to your beds in your covered hoop house or greenhouse, you can um, increase over time the amount of salts in your soil because it never rains in a hoop house, right. and so you don't have that natural um, rinsing. Of, of the kelp or seaweed, unless you take the skin off, unless you take the plastic off in winter. So so bone meal is a good thing, but um, in, in modern amounts, you really don't have to have a lot of it. So the old idea of taking a scoop and throw it in the bottom of the hole before you put a bulb in? It's, it's, it's a misnomer. You're better off just putting compost there because the bulb itself has all the food it needs. You don't really need to add bone meal when you plant a bulb. So... Let's talk a little bit about bees. 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 Bumblebees, yeah. Yeah. How do we deal with bees? Um, bumblebees, you don't have to do a darn tootin' thing, except maybe plant a few more crocuses or other flowers that when they emerge this time of year from being underground or in a wood pile somewhere all winter, they have something to eat. And soon... And it's already started, but soon the dandelions are going to show their shining yellow faces. The what? The dandelions. The dandelions. Yes. So the dandelions (laughs) represent to a bumblebee or many other pollinators the first uh, good meal they've had in months. So I encourage people to maybe hold off on weed whacking or mowing down your dandelions just for a little while so we can enjoy the color, but also... 
you don't have to let them go to seed. I'm not asking you to let them go to seed, but just to provide a little meal. They're or, colorful. They I are like colorful. Dandelions. Well, yeah. So for bumblebees, I would say um, you don't have. They won't sting you unless you, you know, you crimp them inside your armpit accidentally or you step on them accidentally. Um, just be aware too that this time of year they will stop and rest. They'll just sit on the ground or on a leaf and just hang out for 15 minutes or 30 minutes. It doesn't mean they're dead. They're just they're just resting. And you can look really carefully, and this is kind of fun. Cindy, it's like looking at a, a bird wing and you know, on a microscope or a little magnifying glass, and you go, wow, that's really cool. If you look closely at a, at a bee at rest, sometimes you'll see its abdomen flexing, just kind of like it's pumping. And what it's doing is it's getting the flight muscles warm enough to fly. It's warming its interior body. Because a bumblebee cannot fly until its flight muscles are 86 degrees Fahrenheit. How do you know that? Well, you know, <laughs> how do you know about running this radio station? You just learn, you know, you just do. Yeah, but. I know, and so. a little thermostat. I know. <laughs> Excuse me, can I put this underneath your wing armpit? It's a, it's a COVID check. So, um, so don't be afraid, you know, if you hear a, if you hear um, um, a, a low hum, like, mm, honeybees are. Mm. I thought that was their yoga. Kind of. Yeah. So, so honeybees, which are out, some people are, are raising, like Judy. So Judy, um, she's, she's raising um, honeybees. And they come over to my house a good mile away. They do. They yep. visit. They visit. And she knows they're from my house because I'll say, okay, Judy, they're going to come home with yellow and orange bloomers because <laughs> of the pollen. <laughs> but um, honeybees are out. Bumblebees are out. Surfed flies are out. These are all really good pollinators. And... Um, so don't don't swat at them, um, but the yellow jackets are also out, and that's a little different. They have a hard sting, and so just be conscious and move a little more slowly. Look at the ground. Um, all of these insects are emerging right now. Is, is is there a shortage? I know that there are some people in town here who import bees mm -hmm. for pollinator purposes. Is there a a need to do that unless you're a big grower? Um, I think the bees being brought in are, are honeybees, which there are all honeybees in the United States are introduced. There aren't, there aren't natural honeybees, so to speak, um, unlike a, a variety of bumblebees, which are, which are, which are natural. Um, so that's not a problem. Now, you kind of broke, this is kind of an interesting subject that, um, when Marty and I went to uh, South America, to, to Chile, and then we went to Antarctica this, this winter, and I was in Chile and walking up and down the streets of um, this town, and, um, and I pointed to Reynas, and I looked over at this flowering shrub, because it was their summer, right? And I went, well, I'll be danged. There's a white butt. Now, that's just my term for this big, giant bumblebee that we have here. It's a, like a buff-tailed or a white-tailed bumblebee. And they're almost an inch long here. They're really big. Those are the queens. And I went, what the heck are you doing here? Well, it turns out that white-tailed bumblebees are raised in Turkey by the millions. And they're placed in boxes, shipping boxes. And they're sent around the world to place in these huge commercial greenhouses where, say, tomatoes are grown. And they're enclosed. This is like farm-raised salmon. They're enclosed in these giant grow houses to pollinate tomatoes. And they're escaping. 
And so there is a problem worldwide with these these non-native bumblebees all over the world taking over um, the native bees in the different regions. So there you have it, Mike. Do we have those here? We have natural white buff bumblebees, but as far as I know, nobody's brought in a box of them to put in their hoop house. You don't need to. If you do have them in your hoop house, help them escape. Leave your doors open or something because they're probably into pollinating or cherry trees and so on. And um, if you don't have, if they don't have a way to escape and get to raising their own brood, they will die. So, got to help your bumblebee. We're running a little bit long, but I wanted to talk about slugs before we. (laughs) (laughs) We're hoping it was a hard winter on slugs. I don't think it was. Oh, Oh. dear. So um, when you're out looking for bumblebees or listening to songbirds in the morning, also look for slugs. Uh, Look under leaves. Look under that piece of um, wood that's been on the soil all winter. Turn it up and look for the small slugs and slug eggs which are little clusters of cream-colored, almost, you know, kind of salmon-colored, but mostly cream-colored eggs clustered together. So you, you need to deal with the slugs, and you need to deal with the weeds because they're not going to go away while you're sleeping. Really? Sorry. No. So what's the best, what's the best strategy for getting, keeping slugs out of that new box you just built? You have to go out every day and pick them. And get them out of there. No the beer traps, no you sluggo. Can, can, if you do sluggo and beer traps, don't do them in the raised bed if you can avoid it. Because what are you going to do? You're going to ring the dinner bell and they're going to come running, I guess. <laughs> um, Slugging. So, so yeah. do the sluggo and so on outside the raised bed and check it often. And use chopsticks. Pick at them. Whatever it takes. Get rid of the Chickens, bre- I hear, work. Ducks. Yeah. Ducks love slugs. So there's no way to get rid of them. I mean, last year was fairly brutal for slugs. It was because it was a very dry, warm summer. Does the copper work? But doesn't mean they go away. They just go in and hide. They go and hide in the shade and under things. They're there, breeding away. Sorry. Yeah. And then they eat all your things. They have a the propensity to eat certain things, right? They do. I mean, is, is there a strategy where you can plant a certain type of plant that they like a lot that you don't particularly care about? You can. You can plant, uh, say, um, a Chinese cabbage at the head of a row or something and um, and let them have at it, you yeah. know, like ring the dinner bell. You know, it used to be that you should, you should it was recommended that you pick up the leaves that are on the soil or the, or the, like, okay, so you grow broccoli. The broccoli gets two feet tall. And you think, oh, that lower leaf is kind of wilting. Looks like the slugs are getting at it. Uh, I should pull that leaf off. I leave those leaves now because I don't want them to keep going up the beanstalk, so to speak, and then get into my broccoli heads. I'll let them graze on that stuff down below. So I leave sacrificial stuff, leaves, and I'll grow plants and let them have it. And so they stay away from other things. You have to think like a slug. You have to think like a bee. Think, I do. Think like a bird. I do occasionally. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta be like a bird. What would a bird do? What would a bee do? Yeah. I don't know. Um, lawn care tips. Lawn care tips. So uh, you'll look out after this rain and you'll say, wow, things are greening up. I mean, they really are. Wildflowers, um, the beach rye grass, it's all happening. So for your lawn, um, one of the best things you can do for your lawn, and I'll just say it because is to take about um, an inch or two 
of compost or steer manure plus peat moss. You can buy these bagged up in town and spread a layer all over your lawn. If you can get an organic lawn fertilizer or some shredded beach peat, and your lawn will look like heck, and you're going to go, this is awful. But what you're doing is you're feeding the soil, and that green grass is going to pop right through it, and you're going to have the most lush lawn ever. And the more you feed your lawn soil, remember, it's just a plant. It's no different from broccoli, so to speak. It's just a plant, just lots of them. The more you feed your soil, the less moss you'll have. Um, it'll be able, to, it, your, your lawn will take um, freezing and thawing much better. It'll recover better in the spring, and you'll be light years ahead of it. You'll have a, a, a worry-free lawn. You won't have to fertilize it and all that stuff. Do you stuff. do this now, or do you do this in do September? Do it now. I do, it, do now. it now. We do it now. So it looks, so you don't have to mow it for like an extra month. Well, it'll it'll grow, that's for sure. Now, on the mowing end of things, keep keep your mower set to the highest setting. Uh, like then you have to do it more often. No different, three what inches or so. You just you're just cutting off the tops. So when when places like some of the parks or at the high school is mowed and it and it gets down to the ground and it, it, there's nothing there's no green to to process food and make pho- and photosynthesize and so you get bare patches of lawn you just keep it keep it high keep it high they have they have to grow and they have to feed themselves okay, i'm going to ask you one more question <laughs> that, that's near and dear to my heart but how do you how do you get rid of salmonberry bushes and buttercups you got to okay for so salmonberry bushes you got to dig them out they have brains I swear, on God's green earth, uh, they have they have tunneled and gone underneath my greenhouse for maybe six or eight feet and popped up on the other side. It, it's I, They will find a way. You just have to pull them out, dig them out, all of them. That is an enormous amount of work. It is. Can't you just chop them and, like, burn them? Or you can chop them, but they'll, they'll they still keep growing. They'll keep growing. As far as buttercups go... Uh, very, very invasive, very invasive. I mean, um, I have to um, use a little cobra head tool when I dig them out. If you have, like, hawkweed full in your lawn, if you have buttercups that's just filled your lawn too, then um, Jeff Lowenfels, the organic gardening guru up in Anchorage, will even say, do a weed killer, start over. Really? And start over, yeah. And that's what they've had to do in various areas around. What does Kodiak. that mean? Start over. I mean, don't they? It's going to kill everything. Down into the ground. It's oh, going it to kill everything. everything. Yeah, got to clean slate it because what are you going to do? Hire, you know, a thousand high school kids and give everybody a little hoe and no, it's 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 over the top. So what what can you stick on it though that's not toxic and that's going to kill the people down at the bottom of your hill? I guess you could try boiling white vinegar or something on a sunny day and pour it on there. Does that work? That that thing where you get the spray gun and you fill it half with vinegar and shoot with, it with up? With some broadleaf plants, yes, but I don't know about. Um, yeah, I don't know. Give it a try and let me know. What well, works on those hawkweed things? They seem to be. They're lovely. They're beautiful things. I mean, I I, I enjoy looking at them when they pop up, but then. We all love, and that's how they came from England. Somebody on the East Coast said, oh, what a lovely, lovely flower. Yeah. And they brought it to the East Coast, and it just hopscotched its way, lovely way, all the way up to Kodiak Island. Same thing. Oh, what a lovely flower. 
yeesh, you have to dig them out, poison them. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's like, like, you know, Cindy was talking earlier to encourage people to get out and, and listen and watch for birds. You can't become a birder. You can't become a gardener um, uh, online. You have to get out and experience it. So if you want to check for slugs, if you want to make sure that your, your plants aren't getting consumed by aphids, you have to go out all the time and check, 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 and be aware. So when you're outside, whether you're hiking or listening for birds or walking around your garden with a cup of coffee, don't think about what you're cooking for dinner. Don't think about what's going to be at the post office. Don't think about stuff like that. Be in the moment, and you will see, hear, feel, touch, and experience things much more than you ever did just by being in the moment. So if you're, if you're concerned about slugs, then really get out and look for them. It's like raising kids. You can't have a baby and set it in the corner. It has to be cared for. So if you have a garden, it has to be cared for. If you want to listen and learn about birds, you have to be out there and really experience it. And don't think about what you're having for dinner. Do we have invasive birds? Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, the European starling. It shows up in Kodiak every so often. It's technically an invasive bird. Really? I mean, what makes something... I mean, I could understand how a plant could be invasive... But what makes a species invasive? Do they like destroy territory for other birds? Sure. Um, so, and, and actually, for for the starling or for things like that, I think for birds we tend to say more introduced than we do say invasive. Though starlings in the lower forty-eight have been a, have been a huge problem. They were part of this group of birds that um, some people wanted all of the birds of Shakespeare to be worldwide, and so starlings, house sparrows. And a couple, at least one or two other species got introduced all over the world um, and certainly became were, are, are definitely considered introduced and then invasive in certain places if they do damage or um, cause problems for the native species. Like k- kudzu birds. Kudzu birds. <laughs> 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 um, let's close with a, a couple of things about photography since it applies to both of you. Um, what What's the best way that you can take pictures of birds? What kind of gear do you need? Um, I'm going to let Marion take that one. She has beautiful pictures of birds, and I'm still learning. (laughs) Well, Cindy, though, um, you could help with uh, spotting scopes. And, uh, yeah, yeah, what, what, you know, for birders that are people that are really serious about it. So a spotting scope, do you recommend? I would absolutely recommend a spotting scope, um, especially for Kodiak, because we have so much open water and you can see so many more things if you have a really if you have a good scope. Um, And if if at the very and if you can't afford a decent scope because they're not they're not cheap, um, then then a then then a decent pair of binoculars is real. You I mean, I don't think you can enjoy the birds fully until you have some sort of optics to to enhance your viewing of the birds. And so. So what would be um, a a good uh, range for, for, for binoculars? You mean, you mean, so my, my recommendation is to get um, the, like eight, eight by powers um, and eight by 42s or 44s, if you can, um, so that you get the most light gathering and the, and prices for decent binoculars, you can get a good pair of binoculars for somewhere in the 200 ish to 
300-ish range, though the more you spend, the better they get. <laughs> Probably the best binoculars out there um, go for up, upwards of like $2,000. And then scopes, I think you can get a decent scope for right in the 800 to $1,000 range. And so again, optics are not cheap, but they but they do really enhance your enhance your viewing experience. Yeah. And I think it's also um, same. Oh, with you only buy them once. Like I've I've had the same pair of binoculars and the same scope for for the past well quite a few years now. And so yeah, you don't. These are not something you buy regularly, or you're not replacing them. I think it's I think it's also though an investment in your recreation. It's an investment in your health. Agreed. Yeah, it's like having a dog. You got to take the dog outside. You know, you right. have you have a scope. You have to scope. Yeah. You got to go out there and you got to find birds. That's right. And yeah, it is definitely an investment in your in your recreating for sure. Mm -hmm. As far as a uh, camera equipment, though, um, if if you want to get those really tight shots, if, the top, the whole top of the line thing would be a, a prime lens, like a five hundred millimeter or six hundred millimeter, and then going down from there might be a one hundred to four hundred or a two hundred to four hundred millimeter. This is going to get you zoomed in really tight, um, but it doesn't mean that you're 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 isolated to that you can go uh, a 200 millimeter 300 and lots of times you do get close to birds around here so if if you have maybe like a 24 to 105 lens um, just be still and um, you can get good pictures that you can then crop so um, don't give up and you can buy used equipment you don't have to buy new equipment I very rarely buy new equipment do you have a particular place you would go to look well i know the kodiak camera club the lots of people will will sell equipment on the kodiak camera club facebook page but uh bnh photo uh, com has a lot of used equipment adorama does um ebay does uh it is possible and um I, my motto is I don't I don't buy anything unless I sell something first. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably good. Now, so everybody and their brother now has one of these phones in their pockets that gives them the opportunity to take pictures which we never had before. That's true, and um, they're getting better all the time. It's stunning how good of, good the pictures are. Do you have any tips for people using a smartphone to take pictures? I would say um, when you zoom in with your fingers, like you pinch and pull. Um, you, you will compromise. Um, just, just think about what do you want to do with your pictures? Do you want to post them on Facebook or do you want to frame them and put them in your house? Um, I think they're great for IDs, really good for IDing and especially using the audio Absolutely. function. So, um, I mean, a, a, a soft picture is better than no picture. That's what I say. So <laughs> if, if you think you'd like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can get it with my phone here. Just try it. You can always delete try. it. Yeah. Yeah. Always just try. Mm -hmm. So the best way to take your beach selfie for the Audubon <laughs> challenge would be to do what? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to use your phone, sit very still and hope that that bird gets really close to you. But then you again, if you, it is for, yeah, sit but if it's for ID, sometimes like Marion was saying, even if it's not the best photo, you can still pick out the details that are necessary for identifying the bird. And the other thing, too, is if you see a bird or, or a plant or a flower that you've never seen before, the, you get a little excited, and you, and you start pushing that, that button to take the picture. The other thing is hold still, and when you take the picture, take it gently and don't push on the phone because that way um, you will prevent the blur just from your moving the, the smartphone. 
It's like a camera. So it might mean you just kind of relax and exhale and hit the, hit the button. So, so be still, Mike. Be still. The, the, is there communal birding opportunities? I mean, is, is that all been shut down? There used to be some uh, like coffee club at Potato Patch. So every October we have done a birding and breakfast at Potato Patch. Um, we are not officially holding birding, like communal birding walkings. But the thing is, is that if you if you have friends that are birders, I don't. It, it's not. There's there's nothing that says you can't both be out at the same site, six feet apart, and looking at the same birds and talking with one another, much like other outdoor activities. And so as long as you're as long as we're observing the same sort of guidelines that um, that we're being asked to for other things, um, there is a little there is the concern with birding. Um, it's it's common to say, oh hey, I see a let's say I'll, I see a certain bird through my scope and then for somebody to come and look through your scope at, um, and because it's because it's already trained on that bird um, and and um, Cornell and other places are recommending that you don't do that at this time because then you're putting your eye right where somebody else's eye was and so it's recommended that you don't share any optics right now. Great. So Cindy I was just wondering have, 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 uh, have you ever seen any masks with with puffins on them or anything like that? <laughs> no, I haven't. It's a great idea. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, Marion. I don't even. Ha- I was looking through my, my my fabric stash. I don't have any bird fabric at all. So something I have to add to my fabric stash. Oh, okay, I'll send you the puffin face, and then you can you can somehow get it on your fabric. I mean, it's a great idea for tribal recognition. You know, to have masks <laughs> that identify what clique you belong to. Okay, I'll get a bumblebee face, Cindy. You can get what your favorite bird. There we go. Yeah. Oh, blueberry bush no. <laughs> <laughs> where do you plant blueberries i mean where, where i i live in the flats and so, we don't really tend to have many blueberries i've seen a couple of bushes here and there but i know this end of town the monashka end is chock full of them. so what is the difference dark you guys are dark and over there. spruce trees spruce acid trees. Soils. yes acid soil you will find blueberries where you have spruce trees that's why when you cut down spruce trees, you lose your blueberry habitat. So if you were in the flats, for instance, and then you would say, let's go put it in a darker place that's close to a spruce tree or change the composition of the soil to make them yes. serve both. So if, if, you're gonna, if you're going to put it in your garden yeah. and, and there's, 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 it's not very acidic soil, then you're going to have to amend it. You're going to have to turn in the spruce needles and all of that in local soil. Um, and... They also like partial shade, partial sun, partial shade. So the blueberries are blooming right now. They're quite stunning. So if you go for a, a hike in, in Abercrombie right now, just stop and smell the blueberry blossoms. But that's exactly what you have to emulate is partial sun, shade, and acidic soil. That's what you have to do. But why not just go pick somewhere where you've got blueberries? It's easier to do it in your yard. Oh, now if you, know. you want to buy a commercial, like a like a domestic blueberry, same kind of thing. They're going to want acidic soil and probably more sun than normal because they're coming from Canada or uh, Washington or Oregon. I don't even know if they're shipping, by the way. And uh, they have to have acidic soil, period. Otherwise, they're just going to grow and look at you and not produce a berry. So why are raspberries so successful in the flats? Because they like a lot of sun, and they're not as particular about the soil as in low pH soil. 
you know, and they are as invasive as uh, salmon berries, those things. Cindy, wouldn't you call it introduced? Introduced, yeah. Yeah, introduced. <laughs> it's introduced. And so I know people will often grow, and we have a sale, we have a plant sale coming up on Saturday. You do? Yes, we do. It's a it's a fundraiser for KMXT, by the way. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and so I know people have called me and said, I have raspberry bushes. Uh, can I bring them? I said, yes. you got to dig out clumps and with roots, and um, people will put them in places, and they expect the raspberry to behave itself. No. As, as in, you are not allowed to go <laughs> into the lawn or in my neighbor's yard, under the fence. Raspberries are bad children. They will. <laughs> bad children, and they won't listen to their parents. <laughs> and so they have a will. And so be aware that if you're going to have raspberries, they're going to want to just spread out. Our and. But also know that those raspberries and salmon and salmon berries, while they're a little bit of a problem for main or for keeping them back, birds love them and they'll attract birds to your yard because birds will come and eat those berries. And so, you know, it's a good thing too. Great. You feed feed the feed, feed the bees because they'll be on those salmon berry blossoms here soon. Are are currants um, native to here? Or have they been introduced? There are wild currants, but the domestic currants, like the red and the black, and some people have white currants, um, those are are introduced. Store-bought. Those are store-bought. But they they grow here. They're very happy. Mm -hmm. So what kind of things do you have at your plant sale? Uh, We'll have all kinds of perennials, blue poppies, um, uh, uh, lots of uh, primroses that are blooming right now, all kinds of flowering perennials and people are bringing seedlings and um, current bushes and rhubarb clumps um, lots of different things rhubarb I, I, clumps iris white iris i have clumps of white iris and siberian yellow iris and i have a silent auction for a very rare white mechanopsis like you think like a blue um, poppy this is a white blue poppy White yeah. blue poppy. Yeah. And where will this be? Um, it's we're holding it in our driveway, or if it's raining in our garage, so or outside it'll just be wet. And um, it's one two two three West Kuskoff. Okay. If you have plants, bring them this week and put them in front of our garage, and I'll take care of them. And the sale is Saturday from ten to noon at one two two three West Kuskoff. You know the garden club. Are they even active now? I have not heard anything from them. They're, they help each other out, but um, like many service clubs, they've kind of diminished a bit. Well, they so. used to do that sale in the ice rink. Mm-hmm. Is that off this year to it, your It has been off for a couple years, yep, and, and, and garden tours. You know, we just have to you know, yeah. engage, the, engage the younger species. So how does someone get involved in the garden community then? I mean... There's still a lot of talking over the fence, so neighbors helping neighbors. Um, there's the Facebook um, Kodiak Growers page, and uh, and then every Monday I write the gardening column in the mirror, Kodiak Daily Mirror, and um, so there are a lot of ways where people can share their knowledge. It's so are you like the conduit? Are you? No, you're no, just one of them. I'm just one of them. Yeah, you're I'm, one of I'm the just neighbors. A, I'm just a cheerleader like everybody else. Yeah. So if somebody's new, then how do they get involved in the gardening community if they have things to share or they need some information? It's, it's a good question because I often get, um, in the wintertime, 
I get emails from people saying, I'm moving to Kodiak or I'm being transferred to Kodiak. Where do I start? And so I, I tell them, um, read my column, go on the Kodiak, um, Kodiak Growers um, page. Um, there are a lot of resources here in town, as in go to the nurseries, go to Sutliff's, talk to people, and don't be afraid to try. And I'll, and I'll give them kind of a starting list of things you can grow here. You come from North Carolina and you go, ooh, this is a different planet. Yes, it is. But it's actually not impossible. It's great. So same thing for Cindy. How, if somebody's new to town, how do they get involved in in the birding community? Um, well, so join certainly joining Kodiak Audubon is a great way to get started. Um, and and yeah, and there is a Kodiak um, birding Facebook page that I would say that definitely, you know, keep your eye on that and join that, join that group as well. It's a good way to know, to know what's going on. Um, and then, yeah, if you're part of Audubon and you're, and you keep, you keep your eye on that Facebook page, it's a, you'll, you will soon know where to go and, and, and well, where and when to see the different things that you want to see. You'd be surprised, Mike, how many people join the Kodiak Audubon, the, the Kodiak birding page or lurk from all over the country, if not all over the world, because Kodiak is a very, Kodiak Island is just cool, unique. And um, there's people that uh, on a Kodiak growers page, they, they certainly don't live here, but they're pretty fascinated with what we do here. Is, is there any mentorship available in either organization in gardeners or in, in Audubon? Or do you just, do you take somebody under their wing or do you just... Um, that's a good pun i like that (laughs) (laughs) i would say it's relatively unofficial but if you're enthusiastic you're going to end up well one of the things that i notice is that when you're out birding you end up running into other people who are out birding and so if you're out there and you're birding then you're going to run into other people and you're going to start you yes it's so it's sort of like what marion was saying about over the fence and helping neighbors if you're out if you're out and you've got a scope out, people will ask you questions. And, yeah, it's just sort of a natural thing that happens. Especially in this community. It's a very helpful neighborly community that way. It is. Yeah. Great hey, place to live. This has been a lot of fun. I think we could probably talk for another hour or two. But uh, <laughs> You'd have to bring in the coffee, Mike. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you both very much. I thank you. I appreciate you coming in today. And hi, Cindy. Good to see you. Very good nice to see you, Marion. <laughs> All right, you guys right. have a good day. We're going to go back to talk of Alaska. <laughs> <laughs>